With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Billboard Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm doing great, Keith. Feels like a busy, uh, busy news music week. Yes. I think. All of those things are happening. <laughs> we've got BBMA news. We've got Grammy news. We've got a new number mm-hmm. one on both the Hot 100 and the Billboard 200. Mm-hmm. Just, a, just a whole lot of stuff happening. Just how we like it. Yes. Because as always... Thankfully, that's why we're here. The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about how The weekend's Save Your Tears, bolstered by a newly released remix with Ariana Grande, jumps to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, and how Moneybag Yo lands his first number one album on the Billboard 200 chart with a gangsta's pain. Plus, the finalists were announced for the 2021 Billboard Music Awards, Woo-hoo! and we've got all the details about the big show, including how it will be hosted by a friend of the podcast. Hmm. And in other award show news, we'll be joined by Billboard Awards editor Paul Grine to discuss the big Grammy Awards news of how they have disbanded the controversial nomination review committees and what it all means for the awards. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit Billboard.com podcasts. Okay. Let's do the chart chat. First up, The weekend's Save Your Tears jumps from number six to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, giving The weekend his sixth leader on the tally. The surge to the top was prompted by the release of a new remix of the song with Ariana Grande. And Grande now gets chart credit for the song, as the new version drew the majority of the title's overall activity for the week. And it is also Grande's sixth number one. Wow. Yeah. So congrats to both. Uh, neither one of them have been on the podcast yet. Come on. That's true. But we did do a whole podcast last week about what a perfect pair they are. And I would say this is confirmation of that. See, here's the thing. They know both The weekend and Ariana listened to that show and thought they don't need us to come and do an interview. We'll just do a whole show around you anyway. Right. Well, following the April 23rd release of its remix with Grande, Save Your Tears, uh, all versions combined, drew 30.4 million U.S. streams, up 111%, and sold 18,000 downloads, up 
265% in the week ending April 29th, according to MRC data. That's, of course, in the United States. It also attracted 67.3 million radio airplay audience impressions. That was up 5% in the week ending May 2nd. And uh, with all that activity, the song jumps 19 to 1 on the digital song sales chart, 17 to 2 on the streaming songs chart, and holds at number 2 on the radio songs chart. I would love to know when this remix was created, because it feels like it's it's Ages like a game ago. of double... Well, it, it feels like it's a game of double dutch sometimes where you're like waiting for your moment to like jump in. And like, I feel like, you know, seeing that it went up to number six last week, it's like they picked this perfect moment when it was primed to uh, to take it all the way to the top with this remix. And they clearly picked the right week. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, I think that's probably it. I mean, I mean, maybe there were people that knew it's like, oh, we know Little Nas X is coming. We know Polo G is coming. Mm-hmm. How do we dodge and weave around these things? And sometimes... You pick the right week, and sometimes you don't. You don't. <laughs> um, well, as for the rest of the top five on the Hot 100 this week, Silk Sonic's Leave the Door Open holds at number two. By the way, Silk Sonic was an example of that. Silk Sonic's track came out the same week that Drake dropped some surprise songs. So I think maybe Silk Sonic thought they were going to debut at number one that week. They had to wait a few weeks to get to number one. So the same thing could have yep. happened with Ariana and The Weeknd. Even if it hadn't been this week, maybe it still could have been number one at some point later. Yeah. Um, so Leave the Door Open holds at number two on the Hot 100 this week, while Justin Bieber's Peaches, featuring Daniel Caesar and Giveon, is also a non-mover at number three. Polo G's Rap Star falls one to four in its third week on the chart, and Dua Lipa's Levitating, featuring DaBaby, is steady at number five. Fun fact, as you've probably surmised if you listen to the show each week, uh, the numbers one, two, three, and four songs this week on the Hot 100 have all been at number one at some point in the past or currently how fun how fun in fact if you look at the entire top 10 this week seven out of the top 10 have all been number one songs um i don't know if it's a a moment i was gonna say has there ever been a moment when more than that many songs have been number one go tweet gary trust and find out okay that sounds like a perfect billboard mailbag question yes we'll (laughs) we'll work on that later next up (laughs) Next up, over on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, after notching four earlier top 10 albums, rapper Moneybag Yo earns his first number one as his latest effort, A Gangsta's Pain, debuts atop the tally. The 22-track set earned 110,000 equivalent album units in the U.S. in the week ending April 29th, according to MRC data, and nearly all of that total is powered by streaming activity. So congrats to Moneybag Yo. Last week's number one, the Young Thug-led Slime Language 2 album, falls to number two in its second week. Morgan Wallen's former number one, Dangerous, the double album, is a non-mover at number three. And Eric Church's Soul bows at number four. Now, Soul follows Church's top ten debut a week ago with Heart, making Church the first act with back-to-back top ten debuts in successive weeks since 2017, when Future debuted at number one in successive weeks with a self-titled album and Hendrix. And uh, rounding out the top five on the Billboard 200 this week is Justin Bieber's former former number one, Justice, which falls one spot. We mentioned at the top of the show, the finalists for the 2021 Billboard Music Awards were announced last week, and news about the show has been coming fast and furious since then. So we wanted to kind of recap what you need to know about the show so far. First of all, the weekend we might have already mentioned today uh, is this year's leading BBMA finalist with 16 nods. We did not 
snub the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, we, Billboard, and it's not really, it's not like we're picking people. It's how you did on the charts. <laughs> it's, yes. Y'all, y'all wanted the weekend. You kept streaming his songs, buying his songs, and listening to his songs on the radio. Exactly. Numbers do not lie. And uh, he is followed by DaBaby with 11 nods, then Pop Smoke with 10, and Gabby Barrett with 9. That's that's a little bit surprising. Were you surprised? By I Gabby think Barrett? so too. I you might have noticed the surprise at the end of uh, my <laughs> saying that Gabby Barrett. I love that. I love Gabby Barrett, and I love that uh, she's getting that huge recognition at uh, you know not just a country genre award show at a mainstream award show. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, very exciting news that we announced the day after the finalists came out is that Nick Jonas is hosting the show for the very first time. Friend of the podcast. Uh, friend of the podcast nick jonas and he will be following in the footsteps of his fellow voice coach kelly clarkson so i'm sure she'll be giving him lots of tips now do you think nick <laughs> is going to do what kelly did where nick where kelly would had opened the shows with like a, a mega medley where she performed all of these hit songs together do you think nick is going to do that this year i mean that was fun so you know if he took note that people liked that i mean but of course Kel- kelly does kellyoke it's basically like kellyoke for the bbmas but nick obviously can do that yeah he's pretty nick- funny i'm not sure if you've watched him on the voice at all but he gives like some good zingers to blake i feel like he might go a little bit funnier like a little more stand-up-y he's, or something well, yeah because he because he has like a very sort of like stand-up wry but he's like sense of humor he's also like a good actor yeah. too so i think that, that will absolutely help him immeasurably for the for his hosting yes. duties yes i love this choice though that should be fun and then just announced today breaking news just announced tuesday pink will receive the icon award and perform at the show some huge names in the past have gotten that award and she said in her statement to uh, billboard that you know she kind of is mind blown that she's being mentioned in the same breath as you know share garth brooks stevie wonder all these huge huge names um, so the show will air live from the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, Crazy. which is weird. Second year in a row also, in L.A. Uh, I was going to say, also, if you listen to the show, you know that Keith and I typically jet off to Las Vegas every year and go to the show. So now two years running. Um, it's we won't be jetting right off in our anywhere. Backyard. Yeah, I don't even think I'll be jetting to downtown Los Angeles. Are we allowed to be there? Um, I don't think we're allowed I don't, to be there. Actually, I don't know. We'll keep you posted closer to whether there's any sort of role that we will be playing on site. Um, but I'm guessing we're still playing it safe here with COVID that they don't need extra bodies hanging around. So, um, you know, I could definitely do coverage from right here. I've been in a lot of virtual press rooms this year and I might be in our own virtual press room. We, we don't know yet. So we shall see. Um, and, uh, if I didn't say this, it airs on Sunday, May 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, live on both coasts. Beautiful thing on NBC. And yeah, the, we'll be, we'll be tuning in, uh, probably along with you guys this year, but we'll be covering it for sure. So, uh, stay tuned to the podcast for more. Um, and by the way, uh, we haven't mentioned this, but I think we kind of suggested as much, um, you know, the... Billboard Music Awards finalists are basically essentially a reflection of how well people did on the charts in the past year. Um, Katie, yeah. I think we have some specific wording about this, right? <laughs> we do. So the, the BBMA finalists and then the winners are based on key fan interactions with music, which includes album and digital song sales, streaming, radio airplay, and social engagement as tracked by Billboard and its data partners, including MRC Data. 
So this year's awards are based on the chart period from March 21st, 2020 through April 3rd, 2021. So it it's all right there. You saw what has happened on this last year of charts. That's what, you know, the biggest people on that show are going to be. <laughs> Some, somehow it's, it's it's also in a way the most anticlimactic like award yeah. show cuz well, <laughs> there are some surprises I guess because True. it's not like fans are tracking exactly like, you know, the consumption of that, you know, of that period of the year. But, you haven't um, been on Twitter yes. lately, have you? <laughs> okay, yes. I guess there are some fans who do. <laughs> Well, speaking of award shows, in other music awards news, on April 30th, the Recording Academy announced that it was disbanding its nominations review committees, except in so-called craft categories. More on that in a second. If you have been following the Grammy Awards for years, or even only recently, you've likely heard of these committees existing and how they've been rather controversial. Yeah, I mean, most specifically, obviously, we've heard from The Weeknd, who was snubbed entirely by the Recording Academy and got zero nominations, and he called the Grammys corrupt and demanded transparency. His words, not ours. Yes. Uh, So we thought we'd discuss what this new change by the Recording Academy actually means, why these nomination review committees even existed in the first place, and what could happen at next year's Grammys in light of this change. And who better to talk to about this than Billboard's own awards editor, Paul Grine, who covers all things awards for Billboard and is the expert when it comes to all things Grammys. Um, Of course, on Monday, he wrote a lengthy analysis piece on Billboard.com about disbanding the committees for, and that you could definitely read that, but instead, why don't you listen to Paul talk to us right now, and then you can go read that afterward. So welcome, Paul, to the the podcast. Thank you. It is an honor. It's my first time, and I listen to it every week, so I'm glad to be on it. Yay. It's definitely not not your first time on a a Billboard podcast, just this Billboard podcast. That's true. (laughs) Um, So, Paul, it might be surprising to listeners to know that the thousands of voting members of the Recording Academy, who are artists of all sorts and professionals in the music business, actually haven't had the final say in who the nominees are at the Grammy Awards. So how has the process worked so far? For the past 26 years, the uh, voters, the voting members of the Recording Academy, submitted their votes, and then they were reviewed by a nominations review committee that would look, in the case of the big four categories, at the at their top 20 choices. Uh, they were presented to that committee in alphabetical order. So even the committee members had no way of knowing what was number one and what was number 20. If, you know, I presume Blinding Lights was in the top 20 last year, it had to have been. And if they knew it was, you know, very high on the list, number one, two, or three, they might have been more inclined to vote for it. If they were voting blind and had no idea, um, they still should have voted for it. But <laughs> it, makes, it makes the omission a little more understandable. I I just think it's so great that it's going back to the voters. And even if there are if the voters make mistakes, it's real. It's it's honest, and it's what the 14,000 voting members wanted. Right. It's not what a group of about 20 insiders sitting around a table being very, very calculating and image conscious, you know, 
thought would burnish the Grammy image. It's much, to me, much more honest and and forthright. And and even though there will be mistakes, there always are in all awards. Um, mm -hmm. Oscars, Emmys, Grammys, Tonys, every award show, you know, uh, uh, makes mistakes. But that's part of the fun of it. You don't well. expect perfection, but you do expect, as the weekend said, transparency and right, right. honesty and and I and I think that's a move forward. Well, Paul, um, just to clarify, so in in the big four categories, there would be the top twenty vote getters. So, like you know, there could be hundreds of possible contenders in a particular category, and then the thousands of voting members vote from those hundreds. And here are the top twenty for album of the year, and it is presented alphabetically to this committee, and then that committee. Do they re-vote like sort of in a blind vote? Like they put like their they put their votes into a hat basically so they don't know, or do they just sit there openly discussing it in a room full of 20 people? How did that they actually discuss work? it in a room? And what I'm told is that often you can get a feel for who's uh, probably definitely gonna be nominated and who really doesn't have a chance because of listening to the voices. I've never been in that room. Um but I'm told that and common sense tells you that you can probably have a pretty good idea if you're listening and know what know know how to listen. Um, That's interesting. I thought I thought I thought it was actually they would vote from those top twenty. I didn't realize that it was a little bit more conversational. And I didn't. Oh realize no, it is conversational. They listen and then debate, discuss. Um, people will stand up for advocate for their the, their favorites uh i guess hmm. if something has no advocates in the room you know you kind of know it's not going to go too far i guess i guess part of me thought oh well that's maybe how the weekend didn't get nominated for album record or song because if it was just this committee voting in a secret vote of those 20 possible contenders in theory they could have all voted for jacob collier or black pumas and not thought oh i need to vote for the weekend because clearly the weekend's popular and everyone else is going to vote for him but if this is actually those 20 people talking out loud then they certainly would have had to have mentioned the word the weekend <laughs> in that think. discussion so that's yes. that's that was that's really i think to me. i think what happened was probably they thought the blinding lights won't become one iota more popular if it receives a Grammy nomination for record of the year. It has achieved everything a record can achieve. And why not give this huge break to a record like the Black Pumas, uh, which was not a hit. And, and, and I see a little bit of logic to that, but I don't think that's the role of the Grammys. I don't think that should have been their objective is let's let's help break an act. Let's let's be champions for these lesser known artists. Their role should be strictly to uh, reward the best records of the year, and they shouldn't be penalized if they were giant blockbuster hits. Nor should they be automatically nominated because they were giant blockbuster hits. But I think Blinding Lights was both a you know commercial smash and a really good record i've heard it you know we've all heard it hundreds of times and it never gets old it still sounds good so 
Paul, looking at other big award shows, will the Grammys voting process now be more similar to the Oscars voting process? Like, do they leave their top prizes completely in the hands of their voters? Uh, you know, what are the pitfalls that the Oscars have faced with, with you know, with sort of their voting process? Because they've they've come under fire in recent years. Oscars so white and all of that, and they've been trying to do a lot of um, outreach to build their membership. So, you know, uh, I, I don't know, pontificate on that if you can. <laughs> it, the Grammys going forward will be more like the Oscars, which do not have nominations review committees. They are picked by the Oscar voters. Uh, the CMA Awards, is the biggest award in country music, is also un, uh, unreviewed. And the Grammys until 1995 were completely voted on by the membership. So when Stevie Wonder won three Album of the Year awards in the 70s, and when Sgt. Peppers won Album of the Year, even though the Grammys were, rock was the furthest thing from their minds. But even then, in, in that year, in 1967, they could recognize that that was a brilliant album and, and needed to win. It might, might be sort of a, a naive question, but it seems like, I mean, because you you wrote in your story how these review committees started in, I think, the jazz category in 1989, and it didn't expand to the big four categories, album, record, song, and new artist until 1994 or 1995 as kind of a, a kind of an answer to there was some general dismay that there was a year where Tony Bennett and the three tenors were both nominated for album of the year when the top of the charts were being crowded by alternative acts and hip hop acts and a lot of, you know, like, you know, young skewing, <laughs> youthful, um, progressive music. And so I, I thought it was interesting how the, the Academy thought, okay, well, the way to solve this is to not expand our membership, or maybe that was part of it, but here's the answer. We'll just pick what we think is best. When it seems like the answer should be, you know what, we need to get a better representation of the entire recording industry who are voting, because it seems like it would be counterintuitive if you make the, if you give all this power internally to these committees, instead of in the hands of the voters, doesn't that actually make it less enticing for you to actually want to pay to become a voting member? Because then you think that my vote doesn't really count. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> Well, it's an excellent point. Um, I think Mike Green, who was the president CEO at the Recording Academy at the time, thought there was kind of an emergency and something had to be done immediately. I think you were absolutely right that a better solution, even though it would probably have taken a few years, three to five years, to make a meaningful change in, in the membership of the Academy. That's obviously the way to fix the problem, not to to, you know, at the very last stage, you know, alter the results. Um, you make a good point, Keith. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, you mentioned um, in your article, Louis Capaldi, as someone who might have suffered because of those committees. Um, who are some other artists that you think might have benefit from, benefited if this rule change had been made, you know, more recently, if it's... Uh, Maybe Ed Sheeran is the first one that I thought of. 
Yeah, Ed Sheeran wasn't nominated for album record or song of the year in the year of Divide and and Shape of You. Um, because he came the year after Adele won all the big three awards, beating Beyonce in all three categories, all three of those categories, which was controversial. And the Academy thought, we're not going down that road again. Um, but if the voters had wanted Ed Sheeran, you know, the voters should get what they want. It's their, it, it should be up to the voters. And now right. it again, will be up to the voters. The thing with Louis Capaldi, who was not nominated for Best New Artist a year, a little more than a year ago, um, even though he had a sensational year, I believe the committee thought he was a kind of a middle-of-the-road pop artist. We'd much rather have hipper um, people like Tank and the Bangas and Yola and, and uh, the Black Pumas, and so... They went that way. Um, but if a Louis Capaldi has the votes and the support of the members, he should be nominated. And it's going to be, it's, it feel like it all comes down to how fascinating the next nominations are going to be, like be how, how different they are, or, or maybe they won't be. I don't know. It, it's just going to be, it's going to say everything about yes. this decision. Um, yes. So we can talk about it all day, but <laughs> it feels like that's when we really have to like wait for the results of, of all this, basically. But the weekend, uh, you know, he affected change pretty yes. quickly, I would say. And um, and you also written this in your um, articles as well. But the Academy thinks that they have done that work now in diversifying their membership, too. So. Um, this voter base is is not going to make some of those same decisions that the early '90s voter base, you know, would have made. So, um, yes. yeah. All right. Well, Paul, I feel a little we bad that Tony Bennett and the three tenors always get dragged through the mud, <laughs> and nobody's disputing that Tony Bennett's a great artist. Uh, the argument is just that he uh, uh, album of him singing his classic songs probably shouldn't have won album of the year traditional I, pop album isn't would have probably been enough and it did I, end up too and i think at the end of the day and maybe you both agree with me here it's like at the end of the day next year it'll be literally just what the voting members want mm -hmm. for them basically so then at that point what if people don't like those nominations what well, happens I think then? we can we can guarantee you that, that there will be controversies. There will be artists that aren't nominated. And there will be people who are nominated who, you know, people say, why was he nominated? That is a given with all award shows. Um, you know, there, it's a, a fake concept that there are eight and only eight albums or singles or songs or new artists who are worthy of being nominated. There are you know, dozens. You were saying there are hundreds of, of contenders. There are over a thousand contenders in those in the big three categories. Um, so it's extremely competitive and you can get it down to, you know, maybe 20 or so finalists and the, the, getting it to eight and before a few years ago it was five is brutal because, you know, the something's going to come in you know, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, just miss it, and you know, uh, you know, everyone will say they were snubbed. You know, they just 
fell a little bit short. Well, that well, feels like the perfect note to, to end on. Paul, we really appreciate you making your Pop Shop debut. Fun. Hopefully not the last time that you you join us. So thank you so much for uh, talking with us about this today. Thanks. And now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Ten years ago on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, much like this week, a song jumped to number one off the strength of a late-in-the-game remix, as Rihanna's S&M, powered by a new remix featuring Britney Spears, jumped from number two to number one on the Hot 100 dated April 30th, 2011. And, like this week with Ariana Grande, Spears was added to the chart credit on the song, so S&M will forever be counted as one of Britney's number one Hot 100 hits. And speaking of the Billboard Music Awards earlier, as we did, uh, the one and only time Rihanna and Britney Spears performed S&M together, live, was at the 2011 Billboard Music Awards, where the pair opened the show. So there you have it. A flashback to 10 years ago when another new remix propelled a song to number one on the Hot 100, Rihanna's S&M featuring Britney Spears. I just, I want to give like applause for how perfect that chart stat was. Like it really hit a lot of bases of this week. (laughs) Thanks. And I, yes, thank you. I feel like I feel like though I feel like we've I've I, I've we have we have done the pop shop for so long that I have probably done a chart stat about this particular song before. <laughs> so, um, speaking of Twitter, we'll hear from the one person who remembered that exact chart. I guess stat. I shouldn't have volunteered that piece of information. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what song should we go out on, Katie? Oof. Um. Gosh. Oh, can we just go out on? Uh. Gabby Barrett, since we're so excited for her doing so well in the BBMA <laughs> finalists. I was going to say nominees, finalists. Sure. Which which song by Gabby Barrett? I hope that's her, the jam. Her her big hit, the one with Charlie or the one without Charlie Puth? Oh, let's do the one with Charlie. That's fun. He's a friend of the podcast, as we often say. <laughs> so there you go. God love the Puth. Um, all right. See you guys <laughs> next time. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.